welcome, guys, to our October Extra AF episode, where we do <laughs> some articles for the library, some history, and then we read your stories. So, I'm Keena. I'm Natalie. And I'm Audrey. Audrey's back! <laughs> I'm back! <laughs> Can't keep me away! <laughs> yeah, we're trying to, like, batch recording so that we can have next week completely off recording, so... Yeah, we've done more in a row. Just rapid fire. Bam, 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 bam. Same with the shot. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Uh, We've been been rolling deep in the room, guys. And our wine. It's true. Because Gina just polished off a bottle. I did. I mean, it might seem like we're just, you know, like, oh, you should get wink wine. No, I'm down on wink wine on a regular basis. It's delicious. Highly recommend. 10 out of 10. So, how was your week, Natalie? Good. Crazy, crazy. Now that I work, I, for a while, I've been working part-time at the library, but now I am back to full-time, and I do children's programming and stuff, so I'm learning what the kids are enjoying. So, that's what my main goal is, talking to the kids and finding out what they like. And Mm -hmm. Fortnite is one of the biggest things that I found. (laughs) It's Fortnite and anime and sports. Those are like the top three that I've been hearing from people. And I'm like, where are my nerds, though? I need people that love Lord of the Rings or Star Wars. But most of these kids haven't even seen Star Wars. Oh, that's I so think sad. that's kind of sad. <laughs> so sad. What is wrong what is with the children today? <laughs> <laughs> I know, they need Sorry. culture. They do. They do. My God. And, oh, by culture, I guess I mean Star Wars. Like, <laughs> it was um, just history making, guys. It was revolutionary mm-hmm. cultural phenomenon. Watch your goddamn Star Wars. Not yeah, the prequels. I, mean, I, I can understand just, the past ones. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. So. Okay. Have you guys ever taken the Myers-Briggs test? Oh. It's a personality yeah. test. Oh, I think I've heard about it. Okay, so take the Myers-Briggs test, and then they have all these things, like, what Star Wars character are you? What Harry Potter character are you? Who are you in Game of Thrones, right? Every single one of those, I am my least favorite character in every one. And <laughs> guess, guess who I am in Star Wars? Just guess. It's it's terrible. Jar Jar Binks. Yes, the absolute worst. I'm motherfucking Jar Jar Binks, and I hate it. It's like, will never let me live it down. Guess, guess who he is? Is he Luke? No, he's Palpatine. Or Obi Wan? What? <laughs> Palpatine. Oh, okay. He's an evil mastermind, apparently. He's also Voldemort. So. <laughs> oh. Well, that's okay. While well, he's being Don't all be evil scary. and scaring you in the window, you'd be like, "Me so scary," and you just start talking really <laughs> crappy. <laughs> I don't know if I've cut, I think I've cut that out of most episodes. Almost every time we record, he's outside the window or he's peeking in the door and he just stares, stares at me until I see him. And then I scream and then he just like, it fuels him, my fear. Every time he does that, start talking either in an annoying accent or Jar Jar Binks or both. Call him Voldemort. And my sister is also, they're the almost identical personality types, except for he's more extroverted and she's an introvert. So they think it's hilarious that they're both like the evil masterminds and I'm just over here being Jar Jar. <laughs> yeah, take that test. Let it ruin your life too. Now you probably have some like cool like Yoda or some shit, but no. That's, that's super funny. <laughs> <sighs> Audrey, how are you doing? I'm doing good. 
So enjoying the day here. <laughs> yeah, again, we record at night, so it's morning for her tomorrow. So again, she's in the future. In Japan, I'm so jealous. Me too. I feel like bad because lately, like during the week, I just stay on base. And then I'm like, I need to get off base more. I need to get out there. But we do a lot of traveling on the weekend. Yeah. You did just move there. So, I mean, it's okay to be a little hesitant at yeah. first. Oh, we didn't drive off base for probably the first month and a half that we were here. We were just like, nope. Because you drive <laughs> on the left side of the road. Oh, I was about to ask you that. <laughs> yeah. It's really trippy. And then they have different road signs. And it's just, it's a lot. But luckily on base, it's the same as off base. The roads <laughs> and everything. So... I want to be able to drive from one side of the base to the other without hesitating. It's now it's like second nature. Huh? Yeah. Driving on base gives me anxiety because yeah. it's a lot of pressure because if we fuck up, we don't get in trouble. Our husbands get in trouble. So then I have like yeah. even more anxiety oh. because I don't want. Any, uh, yeah. I, right. Even like the speed limit's like 20. I'm like, yeah. Oh my God. The only way to get from the main gate to the east side, which is where we live on the east side. You have to drive over the flight line and oh. there's a red light. And if the red light is lit up red, you cannot cross the flight line because the plane is about to land. Oh, but my God. It's always got a yellow light, like unless it's red. And then there's no stopping, no going back. Like, I mean, if you go, you got to go. Wow. But they don't do the red light for private planes or, you know, just like little, little prop planes that people are just flying for fun. Mm -hmm. So you'll be going over the flight line and then all of a sudden this little Cessna will be like right above your head landing. (laughs) It's like, oh my God. (laughs) The the base here, you also have to drive on the flight line to get through places. And it's so weird because Little Rock, you didn't have to do that. And I was like, what is happening? It's very confusing. They they put the flight line out of the way so you don't have to (laughs) drive over it. It's true. Yeah, Little Rock was easier to get around in. It was was a little bit less confusing. Anywho, let's jump into it. You want to do your library story first? Yeah, sure. Our articles... I'm not going to read it word for word just because it's it's lengthy, but I'll, I'll send you the link so we can upload it so people can read all of it if they're super interested. It's it's a Huffington Post. It's a couple years old, but it's labeled, it's called Eight Awesome Ways Libraries Are Making Learning Fun. Oh, cool. Yeah. And of course, I picked a list one just because that fits my brain. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> that's your brand now. That's just who you are. I can't help it. And I, no, I, I love I, it. <laughs> where you you like dig deep into a into a topic, I like just love to fickle and just pick random stuff. Oh Anyways. yeah, I have like thirty tabs open, and then I'm like picking each one and see what he's like. What is wrong with you? I'm like this is my process. What do you want? <laughs> <laughs> That's just the thing. I always have like thirty tabs. Okay, so one cool program that this library does in Sacramento is going on a fairy hunt and they actually got the community involved where it was actually a two mile route that families and kids and it shows them like dressing up 
and tutus and fairy costumes as well. Oh, that's so cute. And the picture is actually adults. <laughs> and I'm sure there were some little ones there too for families. Most of these people actually might be staff. That's what it looks like. It's really yeah, funny. Yeah, don't threaten me with a good time. I'll go to a straight up fairy hunt. <laughs> so fun. So, and it was a scavenger hunt. There were clues sent to the families, to local businesses along the two mile route. Those businesses handed out gifts to families from fairy juice to orchid oil. There were even roller derby girls. So that's probably actually the photo. I think it's the roller derby girls cheering them along the way. At the end, there was a magic show, face painting, and, of course, many, many fairies. Aw, that's awesome. That's just really cool to me. That is such a brilliant idea because it's also getting the entire community involved. Mm -hmm. And it's just so cool. High five, librarians. That's a great idea. I'm really sad we never thought of that. <laughs> oh. I've done similar stuff. Like I did a, a nerd out, and it's basically a miniature Comic Con. And I had local game stores. We had food trucks, and people dressed up. And then we did a Renaissance fair as well. And oh, it was right when I was leaving the library, though. So I basically got everything planned and started, and then I gave it to my best friends Jeff and Emery. I think even after I left, I still helped them out, but they had to kind of finish it out. And it was, it was still really good getting everyone involved. Oh, that's really cool. It's a lot of work. I did one Comic Con and I was about dead. That's a lot of work. Getting that many people in one spot and all of them working together and Mm -hmm. contract. Yes. Yeah, I wanted to make an annual thing, but now that I'm not there anymore, I'm like, I'm sad that they didn't do one this past year. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's. It breaks my heart a little bit, but yeah. Oh well, say lovey. All right, number two is discover technology. Basically, they're using Google Glass and solar-powered light bulbs for everyone. Oh. Um, librarians do tech roadshows, bringing drones and virtual reality systems to farmers markets and TEDx conventions alike. Through their gadget checkout program, families are even able to check out robots in order to learn simple coding. Oh, that's As cool. It, I know. It just, uh, the trend is growing within libraries, each taking its own unique flavor. Last year, Kent District Library unveiled its new program series, KDL Lab, which offers families the opportunity to explore their creativity using new technologies without having to make a hefty personal investment. And they have watercolor bought several sewing machines and 3D doodlers and... People of all ages are enjoying their programs, especially the refashion IT, in which patrons bring an old T-shirt and give them a full redesign using KDL Lab tools. Oh, that's cool. Number three is get into the story. This is Richland Library in Columbia. The LIT room is described as a cyber-physical environment and transform the room with light, sound, and movement, evoking a multi-sensory reading experience. Storytime librarian students and others can program the room to interact with the reading of a story. Fucking yes. Oh, my God. Yes. That'd be really great for autism, too, the sensory labs. A lot of Yeah, that's really awesome. 
I'm so jealous right now. Sorry, I I'm no. sk- I skimmed it. I didn't quite read what that one was. I'm like, hell yeah, I want to be part of that. Oh, God that's damn amazing. Four, enjoy some playtime. And this is Prince George's County. But those expecting our changes in Prince George's County, where they have implemented several ready-to-read plays. Oh, that's so cool. This is, this is Prince George's County Memorial Library. That's a mouthful. <laughs> Where's that at? I wonder. Prince George. Sounds like... Sounds uh, Canadian. <laughs> or... um. Like Louisiana. Maybe. Oh, maybe. This is the same. Tis the mystery. Anyway, either way, but they basically, they have play areas in their library. So, you know, usually when people think of libraries, they just think, oh, do you read all the time? Do you just do books and stuff? Like, fucking no, it's 2019. Uh, yeah. And kids don't want to just read. Some of them can't read yet. So mm-hmm. there are play areas and this place apparently does it right with toys and activity cards and encourages early literacy skills with their stuff that they have and it's just really neat that's so cool number five is a make art it's an art lab and studio 470 and this one is cleveland public library the team created what is now called Art Lab with stations for kids to get creative. Children are invited to make things in the space anytime, and there is a great deal of programming for celebrations. For example, to celebrate Earth Day, they potted flowers and made artwork with used materials. They read related books for the story time. That's so cool. Uh, they have 3D printers, so an Xbox, Wii U. And so it's just like a really cool studio, basically, an art lab. Number six is Get Outside and Learn, Collector's Corner and Story Walks at St. Paul Public Library in northern Minnesota. And they basically put signs up. They have a little walking trail and they have signs up and you can basically have a walking story time. So there's different pages or different books. So it's like really interactive. And that's pretty cool. The library I work at, there's no outdoor space, really. There's, like, a little courtyard, but it's just, you can't really do anything outdoor. So that's, I am jealous of that as well. Thank you, article, just giving me something else to wish that was at my job. <laughs> Number seven, grab dinner with a librarian. Oh, hey. <laughs> as part of my company service, we help with app curation, and we do that with, the help of amazing curators like Carissa Christner at Madison Public Library. When I ask Carissa how she shares the wealth of knowledge of these kids' apps, they basically created what's called the Supper Club, something Carissa dreamed up and delivers regularly to parents. Each month, families are invited to eat dinner at the library while learning about the best apps on the market for kids. So it's cool. It's kind of like dinner and a show. You just learn about new technologies and like best way how to download them and how to boost their reading and whatever topics they have while having a little free dinner. That's a really really good idea. Mm -hmm. A really good idea. Well, it's probably because a lot of parents, you know, want to go to the library, but they're also overwhelmed with like, I got to feed the kids, got to do all this other stuff. So if you just combine them, it takes two Mm -hmm. things off their list. They can... I know we did, at the library I work at, we did a spaghetti dinner last month. 
but it wasn't educational. It was more like, help you out. Here's a free, basically a free dinner. And it's just spaghetti with a little bit of garlic bread and everything. Just simple and, mm-hmm. and good. Help your wallet a little bit. All right. Last one, number eight, is talk about important issues. Voices of Race, Skokie Public Library. Oh, I and love libraries, those. Yep. Libraries have always served as places for communities to gather. And they are embracing that role even more today. But what about coming together to have hard conversations as a community? And, of course, libraries are doing that. Amy Coaster, I guess that's how you, Coaster, something like that. Skokie Public Library recently created the Voices of Wraith Youth, youth Program to complement a larger annual initiative in her community. She asked herself, how do you help children to see the world from perspectives other than your own, especially in a developmentally appropriate way? She organized different programs, both for school-age kids and preschoolers, to help them understand different people have different experiences for them. For older children, the focus was more around sharing their own stories and voices through poetry. While it was uncomfortable initially, but it did eventually open up a raw dialogue about race in a community. So basically it's a come to Jesus meeting. <laughs> That's what I'm kind of mm-hmm. gathering from that. <laughs> where you're being open and talking about what you deal with, or you write a poem about it, whatever is the easiest way to get it off your chest. So that's just really neat to kind of break out of your usual and think about someone else's shoes for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's the end of the article. But I think it's really neat. And like, uh, I'll send the link. So if you want to read the entirety of it, it's just really neat. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Libraries every day are constantly improving either technology or how to make the community better or to get together different races mm-hmm. and stuff. So go to your library like you yeah. do. Like you <laughs> I love the libraries that do the you can check out a person. So it's like they have homeless people, people have tattoos, somebody that's a different race. And it's so that you can like sit down and have a real conversation and try to connect as humans. But it's all people you would never talk to in real life. It's really interesting. Hmm. I haven't heard of that. I think it started in New York, right? New York or L.A. or some giant cities. Yeah. Yeah, they have addicts, uh, homeless, just people that you would normally judge but you could sit down use your library card like an hour with them and mm-hmm. just and it says that really changed people because if you're faced with those people if you're curious you know you leave being like we're both humans and it has yeah. a really good impact on the community so yeah anyway i'm about to completely just we were like all wholesome and like yay libraries and then my article's about dicks so, <laughs> of course it is. A sharp turn. <laughs> I almost right. thought you were about to say cannibalism. <laughs> you know, it, there's like a handful of things. Yeah. It's part of my brand now, I think. Yeah. <sighs> Unfortunately. So, this, so the article is actually in Swedish, but I found a translation in the New York Post. But the headline is, Archaeologists find penis statue buried in ancient sacrifice site. So, we got human <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. A large stone penis may have been used for sacrificial fertility rituals and has been uncovered in Sweden. The bizarre phallic statue has been linked to the Bronze Age fertility cult and stands erect at nearly two feet high. 
<laughs> Archaeologists have covered it by two feet. Yeah, it's it's a big one. Big guy. Archaeologists uncovered it by accident while investigating a site earmarked for construction in Rollsbo, Sweden. The hardy member was initially thought to be a paving stone, but turned out to be a giant todger, which is European for dick. When we excavated the rocks, we saw something that deviated from everything else. It was on the ground, but it had been raised in its past, said the archaeologist Gisela Engelby. And she was speaking to the, oh, Jesus Christ, Gutsberg Posten. Again, Swedish. I don't understand. But <laughs> there was a 52-centimeter long-shaped stone that looked like a penis. She continued, in archaeological context, however, one is careful to call it a phallus. It has a distinct phallus shape, and I thought when I stumbled upon it that, oh, my God, it can't be true. <laughs> I sh- I showed the picture to colleagues, and there was no doubt about it. It has a very penis-like shape. The penis statue was found alongside two burnt bones believed to have come from animals. This small number of bones suggests that the site isn't a burial ground. However, archaeologists say that the bones in nearby stones surrounding the withered willy indicates that it was a Bronze Age sacrificial site. Wow. <laughs> oh, I love it. When the weathered willy. and uh this might have involved slaughtering animals as part of fertility rituals and this is a quote i believe that there's a connection with the erection it was used to offer sacrifices for example within the framework of a fertility cult according to experts the stone may have been a phallic shaped naturally but the design was later reinforced so they're like oh that rock looks like a dick let's 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 make it a dick and then that. <laughs> let's, let's make this happen. Uh, oh, do you see it? Yes. That's definitely yep. a dick. Whoops. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or a mushroom. <laughs> it's even yeah. veiny. It is veiny. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, it's very unmistakable. They put a lot of detail into that. Yep. I love it when archaeologists are trying to be, like, professional, but then they just can't help themselves with some good, like, dick puns. <sighs> Makes my <laughs> life so great. All right. Yeah. You want to jump into some listener stories? Who wants to go first? I'll, I'll do my story. Okay. This story is from Annika Daniels or Anika. Are you Annika? There's no uh, way to know. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way to know. No way to know. She says, um, I kind of played in dead people's ashes as a child. Does that count? Yes. <laughs> yes, it does. It always does. So the house I grew up in was previously owned by an old lady. When my parents bought the house, it was filled with a bunch of weird stuff, and they had to get rid of a lot. The backyard had been very nice, but since her husband had died, it had fallen into a bit of disuse. In the backyard was a small flower bed with three small trees and sand. My parents took the trees out, and that became our sandbox. Years later, one of our neighbors came by to talk to my dad. After talking for a while, my neighbor stated he had something he wanted to get off his chest. Unbeknownst to my parents, the lady had suffered through the deaths of her husband and her two sons. She hadn't wanted to hurt them, so she cremated them and dumped them in the sandbox. Oh, no. And planted the trees as a shrine to her dead family. 
So the sandbox that I played in as a child was straight up sand and human ashes. Oh, no. (laughs) Nothing bad ever happened to us. And honestly, my mom and dad got a kick out of it. The mom always says that the three dead men probably were happy for the company. And I have a very strong mental image, not a memory. I just like to think about it. A little three-year-old me playing with the ghosts of the sons and the death. Yeah. That's actually really sweet. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they could have taken that and been like, that's, you know, could have been a nightmare. But yeah, they turned it into like a good thing. (laughs) Oh, God. Also, parenting win. I I think that's funny. I think if I had kids, I'd just laugh to you. Like, you're fine. Walk it off. Oh, God, that was so good. Thank you, Anika, Annika. Sorry, I didn't specify how to pronounce that. (laughs) That was a good one. Yeah. All right, this is from Heather. Hello, Hello, Heather. Heather. (laughs) She says, hey, guys. (laughs) Hey, guys, I still need to sit down with my dad and get some stories about our family history. But I can at least tell you about my crazy childhood. My dad's family is from Pinos Altos, and my great-great-grandfather was Irish miner and was scammed into bankruptcy by William Randolph Hearst. Oh, my wow. Great, uh, yeah. I'm like, that's a name drop. Why like, I yeah. didn't recognize that. <laughs> <laughs> my great-great-grandmother was from the Yuki tribe. Sorry if I, or Yaki, sorry if I mispronounced that. She still haunts the family home. There are rules. You don't break them or Estefana will be making a visit. She's not a mean ghost, but she does this, does the ghost version of the quotes mom look. (laughs) Y'all know it. (laughs) Yes. My great, great grandparents donated the land to the tiny town's Catholic church and graveyard which is right next door to the family home, which is really amazing adobe house that was initially a Victorian and then converted to a craftsman style. Oh, wow. We still have the family home, and I absolutely spent the majority of my time on summer vacations playing in the graveyard amongst the 100-year-plus-year-old headstones. It's fine. Most of them are family. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) (laughs) There was a hanging tree towards the center of the graveyard, and you could still see where the old fence used to be that separated the Catholic and the Protestant sides of the graveyard. The only rule my Nana had for us was don't get caught on the Protestant side of the graveyard after dark. Ooh, scary. Their ghosts. Old way for this. It says their ghost will eat you. What? Oh. Pass. Oh. A hard what? pass. Pass. Yeah. He says I'll take some pictures for you next time I'm up there. She, Thanks, Heather. You're gonna leave it at that? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> the ghost will eat you. Thanks. Like, <laughs> Wait, I need those pictures of my life. So Heather, please, I need follow up. We have questions. Please email us more. <laughs> Talk to your father, and I need more stories, please. Thank you. That's really I say please and thank you, but that's a command. <laughs> Do it. I saw the, uh, 
saw a picture of a graveyard and that was the thing. You had the Catholic and the Protestant side and there's this one couple. One was Catholic, one was Protestant, so they couldn't be buried together. So their tombstones go up above the fence and then there's like a statue of their hands holding. So they're oh. connected, but there's a fence in between them. I was like, that's so sweet. It's, it's like sweet and sad all at the same time. It is. Get it together, religion. Come on. They're married. Let them yeah. be at peace. Yeah. Jesus. But thank you, Heather. That was really good. But like I said, um, I need more. So please, <laughs> please send more. <laughs> but that's oh awesome. Thank you for sharing. That was so good. That was such a legit historical family story. I'm jealous. Yes. Oh. Name drops with a hearse. Right. Oh my God. And then we have ghosts that will eat you. Heather, we need more. <laughs> <laughs> please, please, please. Oh my gosh. That was so good. Uh, my turn. All right. So this is from Blake Johnson. Hi, Blake. Hi, Blake. Uh, <laughs> the title is Spooky Historical Shit in Rural Minnesota. Woo! Mm. I mean, you had me a historical shit and spooky, but then you definitely got me a Minnesota. Oh God, I love that <laughs> accent so much. Don't you know? Don't you know? <laughs> you guys. I really wonder how much that guy gets that. <laughs> All right. So my name is Blake Johnson. I'm new to your podcast. Welcome. Thank Welcome. you. Welcome. I had to take a substantial break from all social media while working on my master's thesis. I can 1000% relate to that. You're like in a dark cave with no human interaction while you're writing that shit. Anyway, I really appreciate that I'm not the only historian that spares like a sailor and has had interest in paranormal happenings. You are not alone. (laughs) Welcome to the club. Welcome, welcome. (laughs) There's more cuss words in there. I come from a small area in rural Carlton County, Minnesota. Carlton County absorbed most of the damage from the worst natural disaster in state history. On October 12, 1918, fire destroyed much of Carlton County. The flames took the lives of over 450 people. Holy crap. Wow. Wow. The okay, fire we're made- starting on a high note, but now I'm brought down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This fire makes up chapter four of my thesis, and it's one of the accounts from a small child at the time of the fire and describes a humanoid creature made of the flames. What? Huh? This took another turn. Okay. And I'm, I'm back up. I'm back in. <laughs> this is kind of some eerie shit, if you ask me. Yes, absolutely. I'm right there with you. Oh, my God. If you cross-reference historical literature with those paranormal books, you find at Barnes & Noble, like Haunted Minnesota and others, you'll see a page or two references referencing a small bridge in a town of Moose Lake. <laughs> Love that name. One of the towns that was completely destroyed by the fire in 1918. The bridge happens to be where my friends and I used to blow off steam as teenagers. After spending hundreds of hours of time there, we have seen our fair share of some weird shit. Oh, do tell. To this day, we still refer to it as the Ghost Bridge, in part because of the fire. Damn near every single building in town is haunted. My apartment at the time had all kinds of weird shit happen from graphic nightmares to full apparitions running through my room. Oh, no. Ugh, hard pass. My friend's house had very similar happenings, and it's just sort of a run-of-the-mill thing. Can you imagine living in a town where, like, oh, yeah, the little ghost just ran? That's fine. It just happens. Don't worry about it. I think that's how we are, like, with pets. Like, oh, it's the cat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. 
As rural kids, we didn't have much to do, so we used to mess around at night with the cameras, but we never really had any success. I should also mention that there used to be this weird-ass cult nearby. What? What? (laughs) (laughs) Did they start the fire? Oh, my God. This is crazy. I know. This is taking so many amazing turns. My brain is exploding. Oh, my God. I'm so happy. And the grounds where they used to have their commune is one of those places where you can't hear so much as a cricket chirp. There's a strange amount of legends for this rural county. I only include some because I didn't want to take up too much of your time. No, do take more time. I need to know. Yeah, we can do part two. Okay, feel free to send more. Write more. But I have loads more if you're interested. Yes, yes, I am. Yes, yes, yes. Some are on the internet, some are in interviews and historical societies of the small towns affected by the fire. If you find this topic of deadly fires and spooky shit interesting, I can happily provide more information or perhaps some of the more difficult to reach primary sources on this topic. Oh my God, you are speaking my language. (laughs) (laughs) Primary sources are my jam. Anyway, (laughs) thank you for your time and consideration. Johnson. Oh my God, that was so good. Oh, that was, oh. Yeah, we need more. Had everything. Everybody. Everybody and everything, we need more. More of it. Yeah, so good. And I could definitely tell by the writing, you are a historian. It makes me happy. Let's talk about historical (laughs) societies and primary sources. I love it. Oh, I thought you were referring to the cuss words. Oh, that also, too. That's just... Given. <laughs> that's how you're a legit historian it's like you throw shit and some other words in there <laughs> yeah oh, I love it I think all historians need to just be like god damn shit awesome fuck it'd be awesome yeah let's make this a thing alright I got a story from Bailey Schaff hello Bailey hello um, weird as fuck for the valley where I'm from this is a news article what happened to the Comox monkey farm? <laughs> hmm. well, I need to know this. That is an intriguing question. <laughs> <laughs> According to a previous owner of the property, which was located close to CFB Comox off Military Row and Knight Road, there was indeed a monkey farm owned by Mr. Hybert. While the reasons behind the origin of the farm are unclear, Hybert did own a variety of monkeys, including howlers, wallies, and even gibbons. Oh. I've never heard of a gibbon monkey. (laughs) (laughs) The howler monkeys were so loud, in fact, they could be heard throughout the area. Hybert had even created a pulley system in one room in his house, which opened a trap door to allow the monkeys to go outdoors. <laughs> I'm just imagining, I mean, like a lazy boy just like pulling the rope and then the monkeys go flying outside. Like, oh, crazy. <laughs> okay. In addition to monkeys, Hybert had an anteater <laughs> on the 10 acre property, which people called his own private zoo. Unfortunately, legend has it that some passerby fed magical mushrooms to the monkeys and they subsequently died. No. Those who survived were eventually given to a zoo. That's so sad. Okay, that's a turn. Okay. I just thought magic mushrooms and legend. I thought this would be funny. It was not funny. Oh, no. no we, we took oh. the wrong turn. 
No. I thought, I thought if you ate magical mushrooms, you would double in size. <laughs> Very Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> so it says, there's a little bit more. When the land was sold, some monkey cages remained on the property along with empty bags of Purina monkey chow. Okay. <laughs> Which doubled as insulation in some of the walls of the home. The monkey chow. Oh, what? God. Farina's in the market for everything now? I thought they were just, like, puppies. <laughs> Monkeys. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, f- thank you for bringing that to my attention. I, yeah. That is a weird as fuck story. Well, thank well, you. Well, Bailey, Bailey, thank you for that is a- such an intriguing question. <laughs> I know. I feel like I'm hung up on the wrong part of that story. The Purina thing is what I'm hung up on. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Where is Comox Valley? Oh, it's in um, Canada. Comox oh, Valley. Hi, Canada. We got some lot of Canada's. Yeah, that's awesome. Man, I oh, I guess people do have monkeys, and that freaks me out. I just. I mean, you hear those stories with monkeys like your best friend and you dress it up like a kid and it loves you. And then all of a sudden it bites your face off. Yeah. Apparently there was a monkey farm and don't feed the monkeys killer shrooms. Yeah, don't do that. And apparently Purina has monkey chow. That is what I've gathered from this story. Thank you, (laughs) Bailey. I did not realize that was information I needed. Exactly. Oh, man, that's so fun. I love weird-ass stories from people's towns. Because, you know, there's no way you're going to hear all the weird shit in everybody's town. So I love that you guys email it to us because I just need to know, you know. Yes. Yeah. Everybody's town has some weird shit. Send us more. Mm-hmm. All right. What do you got, Natalie? I have an email that is from Christy and Jackie from True Crime, Ooh, the Killer cool. Fun Podcast. So, so excited that they sent us a story. Mm -hmm. And it says, hi there, historical AF pod. I was at a wedding with my mom in North California where she grew up. On our way to the venue, she started telling me about a girl she knew in high school. She was wild. She was a drinker and promiscuous. I always wondered why she was so sad. She was the first person that I kind of knew that was murdered. Whoa. I love that oh. she put record scratch, murdered. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, a classmate of my yeah. How do you casually bring that up? I don't get that. Okay, sorry. Apparently, a classmate of my mother's from high school, Marcia Dewey Clement, got involved with a guy who couldn't handle criticism. Certainly not for someone who was female in the late 1950s. In parentheses, and strangled her. Some 20 hours. I know, right? Goddamn asshole. All right. Some 20 hours after killing her, her husband of six months, Victor Clement, shot himself in the chest four times with a 22 caliber pistol and had to be under armed guard in the hospital to keep him from finishing the job until his trial. Oh, my God. How do you survive four chest shots? What the hell? Yeah, he shot himself four times in the chest and did not die. Oh, my God. This is a weird night. We got got Purina monkey (laughs) chow. We've got shots in the chest. Apparently ghosts eat fucking people. And we got fires. Okay. All right. Let's continue. Let's see how, how, what more we can dive into. I need to know. I need to know. (laughs) So 
Victor told the sheriff he believed Marcia to be fooling around with truck drivers during her overnight shifts as waitress. He was con- convicted of voluntary manslaughter by a six-man, six-woman jury, but I couldn't find his sentencing. I do know that the max term was 10 years. That doesn't seem like enough, but perhaps because it wasn't planned, that made a difference and might be served as little as one year for killing his wife. Oh, my God. Wow. Also, we are giving my 79-year-old mom a pass on the slut shaming. <laughs> All right. We're giving a pass on the slut shaming y'all. We agreed that no matter what Marcia did, drinking, sleeping around, making a man feel beleaguered. I'm not pronouncing that at all. Right. But dyslexia is getting hard on that one. Okay. She didn't deserve to be murdered. And that if he didn't like her behavior, he should have chosen differently. Yeah, he should have just walked the fuck away. Mm-hmm. But also, she just having a good time. She was living her damn life. You know? I Oh, so sad. Just because <laughs> she was in the wrong time period. If she was today, nobody would bat an eye. I, it's just crazy. I did a bit of snooping to find the additional information that my mom didn't know. And I'd like to say, God bless to the peeps in the... <laughs> In the Haldsburg Tribune for digitizing and putting their archives online. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. that's how she found her stuff. She says, thanks, Keena and Natalie. Christy of Killer Fun Podcast, where we explore the intersection of crime and entertainment. Ooh, that sounds, ooh, that's good. That's a good time there. Yay, yes. fellow podcasts. But yeah, that's a wild ride. Wow. It really hurts my heart how many of these murders we talk about that all of them get off so easily. Even like the Chicago Ripper guy, he's already out of jail and he did unspeakable things. Like strangle somebody and you get out in a year? That's, that shouldn't be a thing. You know, you should be proud. If you have a strong woman or whatever, you should be proud. Exactly. That's the thing. It's like, she's probably just ahead of her time, you know? If they were, if they were together and, and she was cheating on him, yeah, be angry, be pissed off, and just walk away. Don't, you don't have to shoot yeah. anybody. Yeah. It's, things like that has more to do with him, like his insecurities. If he is already, you know, an angry, controlling, abusive asshole, it's just uh, all on him. But that's really sad. You know, you hear a lot of people like grandparents and, oh, whatever, promiscuous, oh, divorce, you know. And it's like the reason people made everything so hush-hush, it, it made – the world really dangerous for a lot of people too. Yeah, our last one is not spooky or anything. It's just a historical house that is in the family of our friend over at Cheers from the Grave, Erica. So this house has been in her family. It's called the Thompson Neely House in Farmstead. It served as a temporary regimental hospital during Washington's winter campaign of 1776 and 1777. That's freaking badass. I don't have a house in my family where Washington was at. God damn. Although, you know, this is also Pennsylvania where all the cool shit is from, you know, Revolutionary War. But, you know, I digress. My family's all hillbillies. Nothing happened there. Anyway, ill and injured soldiers were brought to this home of the Thompson and Neely families for medical treatment and recovery. A young officer from Virginia named James Monroe, who was seriously injured during the First Battle of Trenton, coalesced here. Oh, that's a big word. I like it. And... (laughs) 1817, he became the fifth president of the United States. 
<laughs> like two presidents in the house. Yeah. Right. Wounded with Monroe was William Washington, a distant cousin of the commander in chief. He too recovered at this location. Captain James Moore of the New York Artillery died here of camp fever on Christmas Day and is buried on the property in what is now Soldier's Grave Area. Ooh, that sounds ominous. Along with other men who died earlier in encampment or during battle. It's on the National Register of Historic Places. The Thompson Neely House is a fine example of vernacular 18th century architecture. Its expansion from a low one-room dwelling into a two-story multi-room farmhouse reflects the growth of colonial Pennsylvania's agricultural economy and the prosperity enjoyed by those who milled grain into flour for export. Early Scott-Irish settler John Pidcock, who farmed and traded with Native Americans, settled on this site before 1701. The next owner of the property, Quaker Miller John Simpson, constructed the original central section of the house around 1740. God, this is so old. As well as a grist mill along Pidcock Creek. At the time of his death in 1747, Simpson was prosperous in farming with an interest in sawmills besides his other holdings. His widow, Hannah, married Scott-Irish Miller Robert Thompson in 1748. He was farming a milling milling business (laughs) on the property, made him one of the wealthiest men in the Sulbury Township by 1761. In 1757, owner Robert Thompson built a two-story addition on the west end, away from the river of the house. Nine years later, when his daughter Elizabeth married Irish immigrant William Neely, he added a second story above the first section. The households of both families were under the same roof when 7,400 Continental Army troops encamped in the area during December of 1776. Robert Thompson enlarged the house once again by constructing a two-story east wing in 1788 to accommodate Neely's growing family. Taller ceilings gave the newest portion of the house a higher roof line than ex- the existing structure. That's kind of cool. Maybe I wouldn't butt my head in that house. When he died in 1804, Robert Thompson left his large estate to his grandson, Robert Thompson Neely, including the main farmhouse and the outer buildings, two mills, a cooper shop, and a distillery. Hey-o. Although Robert Thompson Neely continued to expand his family business and real estate holdings, he died in debt in 1848. Succeeding generations of the Neely family continued to own the farmhouse when the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania acquired it in 1926. The building had little change since the early 19th century. Once the centerpiece of a working farm and milling complex, the Thomas Neely House is surrounded by numerous outbuildings needed for farm life in the 18th century, such as the restored smokehouse, chicken coop, and privy seen here today. Washington Crossing Historical Park's own flock of sheep may be visited at the restored barn. That's cool. Yeah. Well, that's a fun little historical nugget. God. People that live on the East Coast really got it. I mean, yeah, we're babies in the U.S., though. We were just talking about things built, you know, like 2,500. Oh, yeah, right. And now we're like, 700 is so old. Oh, God. Have you ever watched Parks and Recreation? Yes. There's a part where Ron Swanson says history didn't start until 1776. Nothing mattered until America was, you know, made. (laughs) That's really cool. Well, thank you, Erica, for sending me that. And I'm super jealous that that's where you grew up in that area. Right? Yeah, pretty much. 
Oh, man. Well, <laughs> thank you guys so much, everybody, for sending us things. This was a really yes. great episode. I I think this is probably one of our favorite things we do, besides drunk it, dives. It's definitely, like. it's definitely, like, one of mine. Yeah, yeah, I definitely love that. And I like the diverse stories we've got you know we got our historical nuggets we've got our spooky apparently fucking ghosts eat people heather jesus yeah, and more then, true time shit oh man and then apparently your mom knew someone that got murdered and <laughs> christy and jackie oh my gosh but thank y'all everybody because we need more stories and we need apparently we need follow-ups blake heather everybody <laughs> everybody just follow us but yeah, if you have a story, send it to your historical pod at gmail.com and put it in the uh, subject that this is a listener story because then I can just file it away and none of us read it. So it's a surprise. I enjoy yes. that. I'll be surprise. And Audrey, thank you so much for joining us for all yes. for this whole segment, our episodes and this extra and our drunk dive. Thanks for having like me. We're very spoiled. Yeah, Learned so much. And you still do stuff on your YouTube? Can you remind us what your YouTube oh, yeah. stuff is? When I moved to Japan this summer, I started a YouTube channel, and it is called Into the Wild Blue. A wild Blue. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And part of the reason is because the Air Force fight song, which you brought up yesterday, and I was like, nah, I don't know what I'm And the Dixie Chick song. Yeah. Uh, yes. So. I'm a terrible Air Force spouse because I don't know the fight song. I'm just like, eh. we go into the wild blue yonder. That's all I got. <laughs> well, well, at least it was enough for a title of your YouTube video. Yeah. <laughs> That's all we need. And remind us what your YouTube channel is about. Like, is it crafting and well, the the channel is about travel and yes things yeah. going on and it's about moving to japan and um all the activities that we get into here so really yeah i'm very excited <laughs> for when you guys start going out to some of the big sites yeah all right well thank you guys Actually, for coming out for october's extra af it's a good time we need more stories for november because you know yay <laughs> yay <laughs> Just because they're good. We need follow-ups. We need more. Come on. Yeah, let's gosh. do it, people. Yeah, these make me so happy. This is why I wanted a podcast. It's more than just me hearing myself talk. I just want to connect with people. Yeah, and then share to the world. Share to yeah. whoever's listening. Yeah, for some reason, you guys keep listening, despite my god-awful cackle. So let's just keep this thing going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.